Chapter One of First on the Moon by Jeff Sutton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The room was like a prison, at least to Adam Craig. It was a square, with a narrow bunk, a battered desk, two straight-back chairs, and little else. Its one small window overlooked the myriad quonsets and buildings of Burning Sands Base from the second floor of a nearly empty dormitory. There was a sentry at the front door of the building, another at the rear, silent, alert men who never spoke to Craig, seldom acknowledged his movements to and from the building, yet never let a stranger approach the weathered dorm without sharp challenge. Night and day they were there. From his window he could see the distant launch site, and by night the batteries of floodlights illumining the metal monster on the pad. But now he wasn't thinking of the rocket. He was fretting, fuming, because of a call from Colonel Michael Gotch. Don't stir from the room, Gotch had crisply ordered on the phone. He had hung up without explanation. That had been two hours before. Craig had finished dressing. He had a date, idly wondering what was in the Colonel's mind. The fretting had only set in when, after more than an hour, Gotch failed to show. Greg's liberty had been restricted to one night a month, one measly night, he thought. Now he was wasting it, tossing away the precious hours, waiting, waiting for what? I'm a slave, he told himself viciously, slave to a damned bird colonel. His date wouldn't wait, wasn't the waiting kind, but he couldn't leave. He stopped pacing long enough to look at himself in the cracked mirror above his desk. The face that stared back was lean, hard, unlined, skin that told of wind and sun, not brown nor bronze, but more of a mahogany red. Just now the face was frowning. The eyes were wide-spaced, hazel, the nose arrogant and hawkish. A thin white scar ran over one cheek, ending. His mind registered movement behind him. He swiveled around, flexing his body, balanced on his toes, then relaxed, slightly mortified. Gotch, Colonel Michael Gotch, stood just inside the door, eyeing him, tolerantly. A flush crept over Craig's face. Damn Gotch and his velvet feet, he thought, but he kept his thought concealed. The expression on Gotch's face was replaced by a wooden mask. He studied the lean man by the mirror for a moment, then flipped his cap on the bed and sat down without switching his eyes. He said succinctly, You're it. I've got it? Craig gave an audible sigh of relief. Gotch nodded without speaking. What about Temple? Killed last night, flattened by a truck that came over the center line on an almost deserted highway just outside the base, Gotch added. He spoke casually, but his eyes were not casual. They were unfathomable black pools, opaque and hard. Craig wrinkled his brow inquiringly. Accident? You know better than that. The truck was hot, a semi with bum plates, and no driver when the cops got there. His voice turned harsh. No, it was no accident. I'm sorry, said Craig quietly. He hadn't known Temple personally. He had been just a name, a whispered name. 
one of three names to be exact, Romer, Temple, Craig. Each had been handpicked as possible pilots of the Aztec, a modified missile being rushed to completion in a last-ditch effort to beat the Eastern world in the race for the moon. They had been separately indoctrinated, tested, trained. Each had virtually lived in one of the scale-sized simulators of the Aztec space cabin, and had been rigorously schooled for the operation secretly referred to as Step One. But they had been kept carefully apart. There had been a time when no one, unless it were the grim-faced Gotch, knew which of the three was first choice. Romer had died first, killed as a bystander in a brawl, so the police said. Craig had suspected differently. Now Temple. The choice, after all, had not been the swarthy colonel's to make. Somehow, the knowledge pleased him. Gotch interrupted his thoughts. Things are happening. The chips are down. Time has run out, Adam. While he clipped the words out, he weighed Craig, as if seeking some clue to his thoughts. His face said that everything now depended upon the lean man with the hairline scar across his cheek. His eyes momentarily wondered if the lean man could perform what man never before had done. But his lips didn't voice the doubt. After a moment, he said, We know the East is behind us in developing an atomic spaceship. Quite a bit behind. We picked up a lot from some of our atomic sub-work. That and our big missiles. But maybe the knowledge made us lax, he added stridently. Now they're ready to launch? Now? Now? I didn't think they were that close. Intelligence tells us they've modified a couple of T-3s, the big ICBM model. We just got a line on it, almost too late. Gotch smiled bleakly. So we've jumped our schedule at great risk. It's your baby, he added. Craig said simply, I'm glad of the chance. You should be. You've hung around long enough, Gotch said dryly. His eyes probed Craig. I only hope you've learned enough already. Plenty ready, snapped Craig. I hope so. Gotch got to his feet, a square fifty-ish man with cropped iron-gray hair, thick shoulders, and weather-roughened skin. Clearly he wasn't a desk colonel. You've got a job, Adam. His voice was unexpectedly soft, but he continued to weigh Craig for a long moment before he picked up his cap and turned toward the door. Wait, he said. He paused, listened for a moment before he opened it, then slipped quietly into the hall, closing the door carefully behind him. He's like a cat, Craig thought for the thousandth time, watching the closed door. He was a man who seemed forever listening, a heavy, hulking man, who walked on velvet feet, a man with opaque eyes who saw everything and told nothing. Gotch would return. Despite the fact the grizzled colonel had been his mentor for over a year, he felt he hardly knew the man. He was high up in the missile program, missile security, Craig had supposed, yet he seemed to hold power far greater than that of a security officer. He seemed, in fact, to have full charge of the Aztec project, step one, even though Dr. Kenneth Walmsbelt 
was its official director. The difference was the nation knew Walmsbelt. He talked with congressmen, pleaded for money, carried his program to the newspapers, and was a familiar figure on the country's TV screens. He was the leading exponent of the space-can't-wait philosophy. But few people knew Gotch, and fewer yet his connections. He was capable, competent, and the Craig's way of thinking, a tough monkey, which pretty well summarized his knowledge of the man. He felt the elation welling inside him, growing until it was almost a painful pleasure. It had been born of months and months of hope, over a year, during which he had scarcely dared hope. Now, because a man had died, he sat looking at the ceiling, thinking, trying to still the inner tumult. Only outwardly was he calm. He heard footsteps returning. Gotch opened the door and entered, followed by a second man. Craig started involuntarily, half rising from his chair. He was looking at himself. Craig, meet Adam Craig. The colonel's voice and face were expressionless. Craig extended his hand, feeling a little silly. Glad to know you. The newcomer acknowledged the introduction with a grin, the same kind of lopsided grin the real Craig wore. More startling was the self-same hairline scar traversing his cheek, the same touch of cockiness in the set of his face. Gotch said, I just wanted you to get a good look at yourself. Craig here, he motioned his hand toward the newcomer, is your official double. What were you planning for tonight, your last night on Earth? I have a date with Anne, or had, he added sourly. He twisted his head toward Gotch as the colonel's words sunk home. Last night? Gotch disregarded the question. For what? Supper and dancing at the blue door. Then? Take her home, if it's any of your damned business, snapped Craig. I wasn't planning on staying, if that's what you mean. I know, I know. We've had you on a chart, Gotch said amiably. We know every move you made, since you wet your first diapers. Like that curvy little brunette secretary out in San Diego. Or that blonde nightclub warbler. You were rushing in Las Vegas. Craig flushed. The colonel eyed him tolerantly. And plenty more, he added. He glanced at Craig's double. I'm sure your twin will be happy to fill in for you tonight. Like hell he will, gritted Craig. The room was quiet for a moment. As I said, he'll fill in for you. Craig grinned crookedly. Anne won't go for it. She's used to the real article. We're not giving her a chance to snafu the works, Gotch said grimly. She's in protective custody. We have a double for her, too. Mind explaining? Not a bit. Let's face the facts and admit both Romer and Temple were murdered. That leaves only you. The enemy isn't about to let us get the Aztec into space. You're the only pilot left who's been trained for the big jump. The only man with the specialized know-how. That's why you're on someone's list, perhaps even someone here at the base, or on the highway, or in town. I don't know when or how, but I do know this. You're a marked monkey. Gotch added flatly, I don't propose to let you get murdered. How about him? Craig nodded toward his double. The man smiled faintly. 
That's what he's paid for, Gotch said unfeelingly. His lips curled sardonically. All the heroes aren't in space. Craig flushed. Gotch had a way of making him uncomfortable, as no other man ever had. The gentle needle. But it was true. The Aztec was his baby. Gotch's role was to see that he lived long enough to get into space. The rest was up to him. Something about the situation struck him as humorous. He looked at his double with a wry grin. Home and to bed early, he cautioned. Don't forget, you've got my reputation to uphold. Go to hell, his double said amiably. Okay, let's get down to business, Gotch growled. I've got a little to say. Long after they left, Craig stood at the small window, looking out over the desert. Somewhere out there was the Aztec, a silver arrow crouched in its cradle, its nose pointed toward the stars. He drew the picture in his mind. She stood on her tail fins, a six-story tall needle braced by metal catwalks and guardrails, a cousin twice removed to the great nuclear weapons which guarded Fortress America. He had seen her at night, under the batteries of floodlights, a gleam with a milky radiance, a virgin looking skyward, which in fact she was. Midway along her length, her diameter tapered abruptly, tapered again beyond the three-quarters point. Her nose looked slender compared with her body, yet it contained a space cabin with all the Penelope needed to sustain life beyond the atmosphere. His thoughts were reverent, if not loving. Save for occasional two brief intervals with Anne, the ship had dominated his life for over a year. He knew her more intimately, he thought, than a long-married man knows his wife. He had never ceased to marvel at the Aztec's complexity. Everything about the rocket spoke of the future. She was clearly designed to perform in a time not yet come, at a place not yet known. She would fly, watching the stars, continually measuring the angle between them, computing her way through the abyss of space, like a woman, she would understand the deep currents within her. The introspective sensing of every force which had an effect upon her life. She would measure gravitation, acceleration, and angular velocity with infinite precision. She would count these as units of time, perform complex mathematical equations, translate them into course data, and find her way unerringly across the purple-black night which separated her from assignation with destiny. She would move with the certainty of a woman fleeing to her lover. Yes, he thought, he would put his life in the lady's hands. He would ride with her on swift wings, but he would be her master. His mood changed. He turned from the window, thinking it was a hell of a way to spend his last night. Last night on earth, he corrected wryly. He couldn't leave the room, couldn't budge, didn't know where Anne was, no telephone. He went to bed, wondering how he'd ever let himself get snookered into the deal. Here he was, young, with a zest for life, and a stacked-up gal on the string. And what was he doing about it? Going to the moon, that's what. Going to some damned hellhole called Arzachal, all because a smooth bird colonel had pitched him a few soft words. 
sucker. His lips twisted in a crooked grin. Gotch had seduced him by describing his mission as an out-of-this-world opportunity. Those had been Gotch's words. Well, that was Arsicle, and pretty quick it would be Adam Craig. Out of this world, Craig. Just now, the thought wasn't so appealing. Sleep didn't come easy. At Gotch's orders, he had turned in early, at the unheard hour of seven. Getting to sleep was another matter. It's strange, he thought. He didn't have any of the feelings Doc Weldon, the psychiatrist, had warned him of. He wasn't nervous, wasn't afraid. Yet, before another sun had set, he'd be driving the Aztec up from Earth, into the loneliness of space, to a bleak crater named Arzachal. He would face the dangers of intense cosmic radiation, chance meteor swarms, and human errors in calculation which could spell disaster. It would be the first step in the world race for control of the solar system, a crucial race with the small nations of the world watching for the winner, watching and waiting to see which way to lean. He was already cut off from mankind, imprisoned in a small room, with the momentous zero hour drawing steadily nearer. Strange, he thought, there had been a time when his career had seemed ended, washed up, finished, the magic of the stratosphere behind him for good. Sure, he'd resigned from the Air Force at his own free will, even if his CO had made the pointed suggestion. Because he hadn't blindly followed orders. Because he'd believed in making his own decisions when the chips were down. Lack of esprit de corps, his CO had termed it. He'd been surprised that night. It was just over a year ago now that Colonel Gotch had contacted him just when he was wondering where he might get a job. He hadn't liked the prosaic prospects of pushing passengers around the country in some jet job. Sure, he jumped at the offer, but the question had never left his mind. Why had Gotch selected him? The Aztec, a silver needle, plunging through space, followed by her drones, all in his tender care. He was planning the step-by-step -step procedure of takeoff when sleep came. End of chapter one.